This episode of the Blackstick Global Podcast is sponsored by Blackstick Global Passport. Join aspiring Black expats, expats, and repats, where you can build community, get resources, and gain support along your journey abroad. You're invited to join Blackstick Global Passport. Inside Passport, you'll find exclusive workshops on everything from expat taxes, financial planning, insurance, job boards, accountability check-ins, and more more. You can even take Passport on the go with our app available for iOS and Android devices. Just click the link in the episode you're listening to or visit blacksitglobal.com and click on Passport. See you inside. Before I started YouTube, I was so afraid. First of all, who's going to want to listen to this black girl from New York, right? It's like, I don't look Icelandic. And in that, there's a typical idea of what Iceland looks like. It's very stereotypical. There are many people here who are Icelandic who don't look like that, who don't have blonde hair, blue eyes, whatever. And that part was like, oh my God, like how are people going to be? But people have been really, you know, for the most part, I mean, granted, YouTube at some time, some point was just like full of trolls. That was hard. But it's just been like a an interesting journey of self-reflection about like, how do I stay as true to myself and still make money? And come to find out the only way I could really make money is being myself. Close your eyes and imagine living a life you love, unapologetic and unbothered, free from daily microaggressions from Karens and Kens, free from the fear of police brutality and systemic racism. Wouldn't that feel amazing? Now open your eyes. What if I told you that it's possible? Hear inspiring stories and get the actual blueprints from brothers and sisters of the diaspora who are living out their wildest dreams abroad. You've heard the term, now be inspired by the movement. I'm Krishan Wright, and this is Blacksit Global. Y'all, I am so excited for this episode of the Blacksit Global podcast because my next guest has actually been on my list of people to talk to for more than a minute. I've watched her on the socials. I've actually journeyed to the country that she is in and I admire her as a content creator. So I'm really, really, really thrilled to have this conversation with the lovely Jules Chambers. So we are going to talk about all things Iceland, a country that probably isn't on most people's Blackfoot list. <laughs> no, but... probably not. <laughs> probably not. But you know what? I have high hopes for this conversation that we will probably get a couple of people to scratch their head and say, hmm, you know mm-hmm. what? This sounds really interesting. Let me look into it a bit more. <laughs> so for you, you grew up in New York City. Mm-hmm. And I'm really, I'm also from New York City originally. So nice. I, I love to talk to fellow New Yorkers and understand their journey and their evolution. And we also have some similarities as well beyond that, because you went to RPI upstate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I went to SUNY Albany. Oh, wow. And- <laughs> As right I was like, the river. I know, right? And as I was like reading, I'm like, oh my gosh, our paths are very much more fun school though. RPI was not fun. <laughs> so. I know we were number one party school when I went there. RPI not so much, but no. <laughs> y'all were the serious type. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about your time growing up. And I'm really curious if you were a traveling family. Yeah, it's pretty funny because well, we did go on an international trip when I was four years old. This is the only one that I was uh, at least aware of. And when I talked to my mom too, she doesn't really talk about going out of the country much, 
But for some reason, my parents, they decided to go to Antigua. And so it was like a, a, our neighbors who were from Panama, they were coordinating the trip. And so we ended up going with them. So I have like photos of being a four-year-old in Antigua. But other than that, we were normally going to like upstate New York to visit my grandmother in Rochester or things like this. You know, we weren't really taking a lot of vacations. My dad worked a lot and that was because he was trying to provide, you know, for us to have like a really good education. And he was really adamant about us going to private school, like Catholic school. So we had a lot of jobs just to, <laughs> to do that. Which, When I look back, I'm like, oh man, you know, it would have been nice to just have more time to enjoy it as a family instead of feeling like, you know, you always have to work, work, work. But they were also really involved in the community. So while we weren't traveling necessarily, this mindset that my mom has always had, and she had when she was in Rochester as well, that her mom instilled in her is that we are like world citizens, you know, like basically wherever we go, we belong and hold your head up. You belong there and enjoy yourself, discover things. So when she came to New York, when she moved after her, she met my dad in Rochester, which my dad was originally from New York City. She, I don't know, I think something in her was just like seeing, especially in the 80s and 90s, seeing how much crack and like drugs and gang violence, everything was, was impacting the children in the community. She wanted to do something. So she ended up creating an after-school program and then a summer camp. So her and my dad would do this. My dad, when he wasn't working on his other jobs, he would help her (laughs) because eventually he became a teacher, but that was a whole process. Yeah. And it was just like a really interesting evolution of which my mom and my dad, when an after-school program is more about like helping with homework, but in the summertime, every day of the weekdays, except for Friday, which was art day, then uh, we would go on a trip. So we'd go to the beach, we'd go to the science center, we'd go to the museums. And my mom learned how to write grants to get funding to do this and to feed the kids as well. And it's just like all the kids became like her children. So I had a lot of like... (laughs) of people always wanting my mom's attention as a kid because she was, you know, like a neighborhood mom in this way. And it was really beautiful because we got to see so much of New York City, like the lighting of the tree in Rockefeller Center, we were going every year. Like that was without a question. And everybody was getting together. You're having like 30 kids on the train. Like it was, yeah, it was amazing. And also I think enlightening to me that no part of New York City felt like it wasn't part of my city. Right. Um, the hardest thing was that there were a lot of kids in the neighborhood whose parents either they couldn't or they had an addiction or whatever, you know, like just certain circumstances that were really terrible. And they never saw themselves leaving the block. They never saw that things were open to them, like going to the museum, like they would feel really isolated or awkward, maybe being the only brown or black person there. And so going as a group and having an adult and uh, you know several adults who were like chaperones and things really made it possible for us to, as a community, go and travel, right? Even if it was just within New York City. So even though I didn't travel internationally that much, I definitely had this idea in my head that like, yeah, I belong and I can go and do whatever I wanted. And as a kid, I really wanted to move abroad. <laughs> I remember in, in uh, high school thinking to myself, I don't belong here. Like I was like, <laughs> I was in social studies or something. And we were just, I, I was, or maybe it was an economics class. And I was hearing the teacher talk about like the US economics and other countries and, you know, this idea of socialism and whatever. And I was like, well, that actually sounds like it's way better because <laughs> it was so demonized. And I was just like, and it still is. Yes. <laughs> right? And I was like, I don't, I don't feel like I belong here. And I just didn't have a clear path 
as to how that would happen. I did once want to go to Egypt for studying abroad in college, but I pulled back on that because my dad ended up getting really sick and, and unfortunately dying. And so I'm like so I lost sorry. my dad when I was 20 years old. Yeah, thanks. Um, he was just, you know, a really core part of us as a family and he's still with me, of course. But it was just one of those things where it was like, no, I'm not, you know, I'm not leaving. <laughs> so yeah, I just never knew how this would come about. I wonder how much your mother's upbringing in upstate New York, coming from New York City, it's not uncommon to see, you know, Black people around, but it thins out a bit as you get further mm-hmm. and further upstate, in, in parts of upstate New York, that maybe shaped her perspective of like, there isn't a place that I can't go and kind of brought that mm-hmm. mindset that really has been the blueprint for how you see the world and how you move about the world. And it's so funny is, is I too, when I was in New York City. I used to journal about living abroad and, and living mm-hmm. in New Zealand and, and you know finally journeyed there in 2017. But I think that for some people, it does start with that kind of shift. Like, mm-hmm. hmm, I don't belong here or there's more to see or this can't be all it. Yeah. When you were in college, you went to RPI, I believe, for engineering. Mm-hmm. Yes. Was that really going to be like the the path and progression for you that at the time yeah that's what it was it was a engineering program for studying abroad and I don't know why Egypt was so interesting to me I even took a semester of Arabic at a community college wow because yeah I was like invested I had no idea (laughs) what was calling me and I still haven't been there which is another fascinating thing it's just like it's almost like it came up and then when things shifted with my dad um because he had been sick for a while. So it wasn't like this was, you know, as if it could be crazy that it would happen, but you still don't really want to believe it when it does, you know? There was something about it that just felt like I needed to go away. And also I was not, I didn't love engineering. So while I did end up doing just fine and graduating specifically in biomedical engineering, like I just, I, I chose it when I was in high school because it sounded really good and everybody is always asking you, like, what are you going to do? <laughs> and it's like, I don't know. I'm 18 years old. I have no idea. Look, this one sounds good. Let's just do that, right? And I didn't really leave myself a lot of space for exploration. And I think that's kind of what I was looking for. RPI is so strict in, like, what you can study. It's engineering and architecture are the main things. Now they have more about, like, electronic media art stuff. But that was just developing when I was in the school. It was – and also business management – but a lot of the kids who are engineers, they often, at least at my time, they would criticize you. Like if you were in another major in the school, it meant that you couldn't cut it as an engineer. And that's why, you know, yeah, if you took like business management, which in some places is- Talk about pressure. <laughs> right. Yeah. So also like, I didn't realize what I situation I'd put myself into. I'd really pigeonholed myself into a place. Now, granted, I could have left. That would have been my mm-hmm. choice. But- I ended up sticking it out because I was like, it doesn't hurt. You know, like it was one of those moments where like, this isn't, it isn't like I can't do this. I can do it, but I just am not finding myself loving it. And I think that was what was really interesting. And then after college, I decided to explore kind of like what other fields of work, specifically nonprofit, which mm. I thought was going to be like, help the world, blah, blah. And then I realized that this is a lot like corporate life. They pay less though. Yeah. <laughs> and they work you a lot. And some, I mean, obviously there are amazing organizations out there. The one that I happened to go to, I feel like gave me a realization that didn't feel so great. And I was like, maybe this is not the path. So I just kind of (laughs) like was figuring it out (laughs) later on. Do you think that maybe like your mom being kind of like the neighborhood mom and, you know, having that, you know, I guess it's to some degree, like not 
a structured nonprofit, but really having that that yeah. empathy and being yes. around children yes. and giving back kind of made you consider the nonprofit world? Yeah, absolutely. Because I felt like I really, she was doing it such a tangible way. Like you literally saw the difference in people's lives immediately mm. by like, I mean, there were kids that we walked home sometimes and we were walking them home to crack houses. Like that was where they lived. They're no uh, running water in the house. They're, they already shut off like the lights. Like, you know, there's one kid in particular, I remember, and he smelled sometimes like urine because it's like he didn't have clean clothes. And it was just really sad. And I remember my mom, you know, in her mind, like she's doing everything that she could. And also at the same time, I'm seeing that the compassion that she has and my, both of my parents, I mean, this was not just my mother. My dad was a very crucial part of this as well. Mm-hmm. And for the both of them, it was like really about giving back. And so I, I, In life, I think that's something that still kind of follows me, even though the work that I do now is not like that, but there is like, it's very value driven and it's very much about like understanding and trying to connect people in ways that maybe they aren't realizing that they could be connected or just because someone does something that's like different than you, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. They can kind of like learn from each other. Yeah. I, I think that that's followed me throughout my life and kind of is my mom to this day, even with like her church. She's part like head of the Caring Hands community, which they make baskets for the holidays and they like deliver them to people who are sick or like shut in. And this is like the stuff that she absolutely loves, you know, like working with the elderly, everything. Like she's, this lady, she's a Leo as well. <laughs> so she probably can't help herself in some ways, but like she's just a really lovely, caring, compassionate person. And I always have said, I think since I was eight years old, I had this like, they asked, who is your hero? Yeah. And I was like, it's my mom. Oh <laughs> because, my God. And I still feel that way because she's really inspired me to just be a better person. Yeah. And now knowing more of your backstory and seeing your work today, like I can see how mm-hmm. that inspiration and tie carries through in your work. And so yeah, I guess you. that leaps us to your move or even the decision to move to Iceland, because as I started to say, like, it's not a country that most people like they might have said, Hey, I want to visit there. I want to go to the blue lagoon. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to see a couple geysers or other things, but for you, you made the the, like leap. So from New York to Iceland and, and I went to Iceland in 2019. So climate wise, it was very similar, like the way it is in the Northeast. So I didn't feel like, Ooh, you know, when you think of Iceland, you're thinking like bone cold (laughs) and it it was not that, I mean, it was cold, but it was not like Antarctica. Not like Alaska or something. <laughs> it wasn't Antarctica. Yeah, exactly. Step us through the decision tree to go to a place that is, for many people, off the beaten path, very beautiful in its own right. There's a lot of natural beauty to the country. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I will have to say, it's not like I had Iceland on my list of places that I ever thought I would move. So when I said earlier, like, I want to be somewhere else, that was not it in my brain, right? It wasn't like, let's do that. If anything, I would have probably, I I think I would have chosen a more warm place, (laughs) warmer, (laughs) because I'm like, you know, I'm a beach bum. I love going to the beach and laying out and stuff like that. But yeah, uh, I fell in love (laughs) with an Icelander who I originally met at RPI. So (laughs) in life, where you are is where you're supposed to be. And you just don't know how all of that works out. And you don't need to know. Like, I didn't need to know that later on that I would fall in love with Gunnar after I met him. So I met an Icelandic guy at a party. 
and we became friends. And it was funny because we became friends over something really silly. Like I was pretending to have an English accent <laughs> because it was just like, whatever. I was a freshman, you know? Uh, and then he was pretending Now he, he had sort of an English accent, which I don't understand why, because he's Icelandic. Uh, but he came up to me and he was like, hey, um, are you from like the UK? And I was like, no. <laughs> and then I started talking regularly. And I was like, are you? And he's like, no. And it's like, and then we just bonded and became friends and started hanging out. And he's like, I'm going to have Icelandic friends who are coming to visit me. Would you like to, you know, meet them? Like, we're going to have a party. And I was like, yeah, sure. And I saw Gunnar at the party and he, I was attracted to him. He was attracted to me. But he still lived in Iceland. And in my head, even though I had thought about like, you know, I would live somewhere else. This was not like, oh my gosh, let me get with this guy. And I was like, no, that's nice to meet you. You're cute, but you know, whatever, go back to Iceland and live your life. Enjoy, right? <laughs> I'm not, this is not, no, I'm young. I'm enjoying my life. And I just never thought that this place, in fact, when I saw Icelandic written in a book, I literally laughed because I believed that it was not possible that this was an actual language because it's a not lot familiar. of characters. Yeah. <laughs> like all the but, words. Are like- yeah. And I was like, no, you can't read this. This is whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I just didn't want to believe it. So there was a lot. And I closed the book thinking I'll never have to deal with this. <laughs> so like never say never is another lesson I've learned. <laughs> because just- anyway, so fast forward, like many years after, like there was, of course, when I was a freshman, I think in college, there was Facebook. It just started and it was only open to universities. And so it was only until some years later where it opened up to everybody, where Gunnar was friends with Orre, who was the person I was in school with. And then uh, he saw that I was friends and then we connected and we would talk sometimes, but more like, how was life? And then like three months later, I'm good. How are you? You know, It was like not a priority, but he ended up moving to the U.S. to go to school in the Midwest, in Indiana, of all places. Like, it was just really, yeah. And I was like, I'm not going there. Uh, (laughs) Meaning, like, I didn't have a reason to because he actually had a girlfriend. And so that, to me, you know, you see all these posts on Instagram, people having a good time. I'm like, oh, they look cute. Like, I just had no investment in this person because I don't know them. And he got married even at one point, too. And yeah, and you know, life goes on. We all kind of, like, do our own little things. And I just remember at some point, he contacted me. He was in Atlanta and this has been now, I don't know, many years in which things had like shifted. And yeah, we, he ended up calling me because he was single and I was also single at the time. And I think it was just more like, how are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And then we decided to meet up um, in Chicago of May of 2013, I think it was. When we met up, it was like we were a couple. It was like we instantly bonded and it felt like, you know, we just really enjoyed each other. And I thought that we weren't going to be together because he was like, oh, I want to move back to Iceland at some point. And I'm like, I live in New York and also he lives in Indiana. I'm not looking for long distance. Like I said, all these things I didn't want. And then lo and behold, all these things you do for, for love, you know, and we were in a long distance relationship for three years, traveling back and forth to each other. Yeah. And then at one point he moved to Iceland. And then when it came time for me wanting to move to Iceland, and, I, and he told me, you know, like I knew this. So I was like, it's an adventure. I love you. I will just make it work. Right. And that is definitely something I'm very good at. It's just like finding ways. I was like, I won't move though until I find a job that suits me. Because some people who move here often have to start over because they don't know the language. So they are working like cleaning houses, not houses, but like buildings or working in a restaurant or something. And while I totally respect that, that was not where I was in life in terms of, uh, I felt like my digital marketing career was applicable anywhere because I shifted from engineering to digital marketing somehow. I don't know how <laughs> I got there. 
I was just meant to do it. I don't know. Uh, Because it eventually got me to Iceland because they were looking for people in digital marketing. So in 2010, there was an eruption of Eyjafjallajökull, which Mm. is a volcano. So much ash came from it that it, people couldn't fly in Europe from Europe to North America. Like the engines would get full with ash and, you know, crash. Mm -hmm. It would be terrible. (laughs) And so it was like, okay. And it cost like a ridiculous amount of money. But at the same time, US media ended up going over there and like the world media showed Iceland. And how beautiful it is. And so it put Iceland on the map from 2010. So people started coming. And over the years, it just got to a peak of like 2 million people visiting the country. Yeah, within like a year, which is crazy. And we're talking about going from like 70,000 at some point, or even less than this to, you know, to a country that was at the time under 300,000. <laughs> now it's like 370,000. That's also a big change that's happening. That is huge. <laughs> that mm-hmm. is huge. Yeah. So I came in at a time where they were like, Everyone's trying to compete. All these tourism companies were trying to compete on an international stage. And Icelanders didn't have, and still don't to a degree, have this digital marketing aspect down. They have been, you know, working on it, but there weren't like degrees that you get in the university. Like You'd have to leave the country, get outside knowledge and experience, and then come back and bring it. So I became this specialized person. And I was fortunate to get a job at an Icelandic tourism company called Iceland Mountain Guides. And I worked in their marketing department. And that was like almost unheard of that this American woman was coming in doing that because first of all, it's harder to get a job and you have to compete against anyone else who's in the, the EU or in EFTA countries or whatever. But that's of course, if you're going for a work visa, I chose the route of marriage visa. So that made it easier, but still they could have picked anybody else who was in Europe, but they felt that like I was best person for the job. And I was there for a couple of years until I was headhunted for a Icelandic advertising agency. So that was also really interesting too, going from specifically tourism to working in the ad agency world, which was exhausting. I don't like working like that, meaning I just felt like there was never an off button because yes, you have your campaign, but then it's like, okay, what's next? And, or it's, or it's like a new pitch for another company that wants to come in, or it's like, you know, maintenance for the company that you already are working with. And it's just like, like, I need to, like, I just, I take it so seriously. Um, even though I'm a Gemini sun sign, I am a Virgo rising So I'm very like that earth energy is very like, I have to do well. I have to like show that like, you know, this is, I got this. I was like, never leaving my desk there at eight o'clock in the morning, leaving at eight o'clock at night. And I'd already started all things Iceland in 2018 as a podcast. So I was just yearning. I was so sad that I had no time for all things Iceland. And I, I felt like this job, which I had gotten to a point in my career where this was like part of the, like the pinnacle, right? So I was chief digital strategy officer in this uh, advertising agency. So the title sounds like something, I don't know, something they made up <laughs> so, so that I could come. Honestly, I have no idea who came up with this title, but they were trying to like, they were really trying to get me over there. And I was just like, yeah, sounds good. Just pay me money. Okay. This is what yeah. <laughs> but I realized the money part, of course, while it is important, it was not fulfilling enough. It wasn't. And I was like, I have to leave this because what is driving me is all things Iceland. And I feel like I'm missing out Mm. on what my heart wants. And then also the stress of it. Right. And I had to detox from working because I had no idea how much I had instilled in me. I still do a decent amount of like corporate work culture and this hustle culture. Yeah. So let's talk about that because you were in this marketing job in the tourism sector. You moved over to the ad space. When you started your job, I guess the initial one, Mm -hmm. 
at that point, did you have any command of the Icelandic language or did that like evolve over time? Because I would think that, you know, you're in this ad agency and probably the people, your colleagues are speaking Icelandic and you're Mm -hmm. speaking English. Curious how you navigated that. Yeah, it was interesting because again, if you're specialized enough, they will make the, make it work for you. And so for me, because I guess I was really a convincing presenter when it came to like our clients who were Icelandic, right? And I don't like my command of Icelandic is is fine, but I don't have like corporate talk. I don't feel that comfortable getting up in there and doing a whole presentation in Icelandic. Like I'd prefer not to be doing that. But I was working on it, and I have continuously, you know, work continues to continue to work on it. So I'm trying to say, but yeah, they were just like. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. We'll talk in English. Like, they, you know, like there was, I have been very fortunate. I have to say this as well. Like for everybody, it's been a very different journey. It's so interesting of hearing some people who they get into a place and the company's like, you have six months to learn Icelandic. And it's like, six months? Like, no, that people have been learning this their whole lives. This, this is a very difficult language. And even people who go to university are getting like a four-year degree. You know what I mean? It's not like, and even the first year you can learn a lot, but six months is like, it's it's tough. Granted, it pushes you. For me though, they really needed like what I had to offer. And so I was grateful for that because it also meant that like I could focus on the work because my brain would have exploded if it was like I had to do the work also all these hours and presentations or whatever else and be learning Icelandic on top of that. I tried it though. The first year I tried it that summer of June, 2016, I was taking courses and working and I almost burned out. Like I pretty much was at burnout stage towards the end because I was just like, I've done it for three months or something. And I was like, I can't do this. I literally, I like, I was, you know, in tears <laughs> because I was just like, I'm so tired and I feel like I'm failing at everything because you just don't have the capacity. Like your brain is literally trying to take in something completely new and it's not like my job goes, okay, take this time to learn Icelandic. No, it's like you're working and then you do it on by yourself on the side, even though they want you to learn it, right? And this has been a discussion in the country about how it's not a friendly environment, especially in the work environment, for people who need to learn the language because we're being put into a position where it's almost, it's not impossible, definitely not, but it's just so straining. And it's like, what do you exactly do you want? Do you want people to have balance in life? Do you want them to have a quality life, you know, be able to relax, come and refresh and and ready to go for providing the value in which you hired them for? Yeah, it's been really interesting that way. I'm more hard on myself about it than anybody else, to be honest. My Icelandic pronunciation, thankfully, is quite good. And when I do speak in Icelandic, Icelanders speak back to me like they do understand. There are days where I don't feel like it. (laughs) I'm not gonna lie. Like, I'm not into it today. Like, when I had to go to, like, I had an ear infection. I had to go to the Apple Tech, which is, like, the pharmacy. I was like, I don't, I don't just please give me my prescription. Like, I don't even care. Like, I'm tired. <laughs> like, I need drugs. Just give it to me. Right. Yeah. So, like, things like that, you know. But I also, a lot of Icelanders have been so encouraging. Like, when I do speak Icelandic, and like, oh, your Icelandic sounds so good, blah, blah, blah. And, like, again, not everyone's story is the same. I love living here. I love being here. And I know that, like, as my Icelandic progresses, it's only for the better for me. And that's what I really wanted it to be about. It's, like, not trying to prove something to everybody else, but feeling like this is just for my quality of life to enjoy and, like, the journey of learning something new. 
you're more receptive to retaining a language when you can find joy in it. You know, you can do some gamification, whatever Mm -hmm. works for you, like how best you're learning style. You try the all in deep dive and then you realize, hey, that's not going to work. But, you know, I've watched your videos. I followed you for quite some time. And to my ear, your Icelandic sounds perfect and beautiful. So what was the process that finally worked where you're like, okay, Jules, you know what? Can't go all in, but this Mm -hmm. is something we want to do. So how do you kind of navigate that? And as you said, it hasn't stopped. It's still Mm -hmm. a process. So what is that like? Yeah. And I want to mention though, I know people who've been living here for 20 years who say they're still learning Icelandic, even though to me, their Icelandic is amazing. Right. So this is like, they also think the foreigner idea of like, don't tell people you're that good at Icelandic because then their expectations are not too high. (laughs) (laughs) But the process for me, I am one of those people, though, that goes like all in or all not completely all the time, but a lot of the time. And so I think allowing myself a bit of a schedule, but not too strict. This is where it, it can really slide off, though. That's the problem. But at least being like, okay, this week we're going to focus on that. Or like um, I had a private tutor for a decent amount of time that has like it it fell off just mainly because the tutor actually ended up getting some like translation job that was really good. So I was like, okay, not going to worry about it right now. Watching things in Icelandic, like watching movies, watching shows. There are some really interesting interview shows because I like to do interviews too. And I'm sure like yourself, you know, it's really fascinating to see other interviewers and like how they go about things. So I've watched this like um, one show, this guy named Martin, and he like he's a really fun interviewer. And so I actually learn Icelandic, the colloquial Icelandic from watching this show because I'm like, oh, and like, I totally, I understand it. So like, that isn't the problem. But if there's something like I'm not really sure, it's usually like a word or two that's out of like in the context, I'm not completely grasping, but still like, I feel like I'm more in the zone of colloquial Icelandic than the textbook you know, Icelandic doesn't have a formal thing, but Icelanders don't talk the way that we learn it in class. There are lots of times I speak to an Icelander and they're talking so fast and you're just like, when I was in class, <laughs> like we're talking like, yig, ed, blah, blah, right? It's just like, it's not that way. It's not that way at all. And then a lot more English is being kind of infused into Icelandic in different ways. And that's kind of funny just to hear like hear English phrase randomly input into an Icelandic conversation. You're just like, what? And then it goes right back into Icelandic again. <laughs> so I think it's just being more about what do I enjoy, like you had mentioned, and how can I go about incorporating more of those things I enjoy? And then practicing with people that I, I like talking to who are patient and who really are enthusiastic. Like a really good friend of mine, Hildur, she's so sweet. And she's like literally like, the sweetest, one of the sweetest people I've ever met. And she'll like, you know, she always gently pushes me whenever she sees me and talks in Icelandic first. <laughs> and she'll, she'll continue to respond in Icelandic. And it's not even like mean or anything. You can tell it. She's like, she's like waiting for me to be like, okay, I'll do it. I would like to stop now. <laughs> and she, she's fine with it. Right. But it like gives me this kind of like encouraged environment that whenever you're ready, I'm here for you. And we've had a discussion about it. It wasn't something where I feel like she's, you know, just pressuring me. I'm like, you can do that. But when I tell you I'm ready, let's just like ease out of that. She's like, okay, no problem. So, you know, like having community too. You know, you've established like boundaries. You know, you have this rhythm with your friend. And you're like, oh, you know what? Sometimes I'll get to a point <laughs> and then 
gotta take a break and she respects that and mm-hmm. then you know still is that encouraging and supportive friend which is fantastic yeah. so that's great advice i want to talk a little bit about all things iceland now was all things iceland did it start off as a creative outlet coming out of that ad agency type environment i don't want to put words into your mouth yeah, no, <laughs> yeah i started it in 2018 in June, I think. June is always a, because I think I was born in that month. I like center a lot of things around doing stuff then. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, June. But um, including moving, I don't like that. <laughs> kind of I'm June too. And Blacksit Global started in June. Yeah. So <laughs> the similarities, we just keep piling them up, Jules. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I actually started it when I was at Ascending Mountain Guides. So I was into a groove there. And also that's where I was introduced to Icelandic nature. So because it was a company for going out and doing tours on glaciers and going out into Icelandic highlands, like I got so many opportunities with this company to, because they were like, it's your job. Like you're in marketing. We need you to know what the customer would experience. So go out there and do tours, go out there and go hiking, go trekking. I mean, and the company was like full of people who were outdoor enthusiasts. We're talking about like hardcore mountaineers, people who do expeditions, going to Antarctica, like going to uh, Mount Everest. Like there was a guy there who's been to all the like summits, I think, except for K2. And he is one of the co-owners of the company. And then the other co-owner is similar. <laughs> it was just like, so like, I remember I never was like biking in New York. I mean, granted biking in New York versus Iceland is different, but I started biking to work in Iceland, right? It was just like, who am I? But I was surrounded by people that this was just normal behavior for years. I started to embody this like, wow, yeah, I want to go out and hike a mountain. Like, that's exciting. And I want to like do all these things and be out in the crazy wind and and, like Icelandic wilderness. I mean, I even took a nine day hiking trip where we trekked in the highlands for altogether 150 kilometers, I think, which is like 90 miles. Yeah, I was like, wow. And I and I was over the moon. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. This is like it's just one of those things where I'd really like practice, I guess you can say, or actually I worked out to make myself fit enough for this. So at the end of it, I was like skipping around, having a good time. Like, and other people were looking at me like I'm crazy, but I was like, I really worked hard to get to a place where this was not going to be a problem for me. And it was amazing. And I always recommend to people, like, if you can go into the Icelandic Highlands, you know, definitely do that. People were asking me from New York or from the U.S. that knew that I lived in Iceland what they should do while they're here. And at the time, I was listening to Tim Ferriss a lot. I mean, talk about podcaster who just like never stops working or never stops like putting out content. And everyone he, you know, interviews is always so encouraging of going after what makes you feel passionate But also, you don't always know what makes you feel passionate. You have to try different things and then see what sticks. Because I had been looking for my passion for years, reading books about finding your passion. And it's like, I'm sorry, but all of these books are BS. Like I've read so many of them. And I'm not saying that they can't help you to get to a place. But what it helped me to realize is that I was stalling on taking action to find what actually felt good for me and what I would want to continue Instead, I was just hoping that a book would point it out to me and then I would just know. And then all of a sudden it'd be like, that's what I'm passionate about. And it's like, how would you know? <laughs> you just, you literally just read it up. Like, Maybe, 
right? So like, and it's not to say that like, especially the ones where they do like the personality tests, like being an entrepreneur was something that came up a lot for me, but it was like, entrepreneur about what? Like, I have no idea, right? It was just a constant in learning phase instead of in practice, action phase, failing, trying again, doing something else, whatever. And so at some point it would just became such a strong wants, like desire to podcast. But I'm like, I live in this apartment at the time that had really high ceilings, like vaulted ceilings. And it's like, this is terrible for audio. <laughs> and I want it to sound good. And so I started researching how to, you know, get better audio. And then someone was like, I do it in my closet. And I was like, huh. Well, I built a little fort because I don't have a walk-in closet. I have, you know, a reach-in. So I opened the doors. I like connected some blankets together with bobby pins, put it over, and the sound was so much better. And I was like, oh, I have figured it out. So I would then create episodes, multiple episodes at a time. It was hot though. Oh my gosh. It was so hot. <laughs> but I'd create multiple episodes in this blanket fort slash closet because your clothes also help to, you know, um, keep echo away and everything. And it was amazing. And I just was like, I'm going to start, I'm going to do this. I'm going to commit for a year and see how I feel about it. And I was surprised. I think I, I think I put out like 50 episodes that year. Like I was like, yeah, I was really dedicated to it. I usually go probably obsessive when it comes to certain new things that I'm excited about. Then I started getting feedback. And that's what was really helpful was getting people who were rating the podcast and liking it and finding it useful and interesting of my insights. And, I was, and so it started to feed into this, like there is value here. And then later on, like getting into YouTube and Instagram and all that. So this is like a journey of like the ups and downs. So again, you know, not having the time for it at different times, not feeling like even doing it at different times. But that was mainly because I didn't have the time for it. It was just like, you know, I have to prioritize what pays me. But then it was like, is payment the only thing that I can genuinely say in my life that I care about? And it was like, no. It, it doesn't like if I don't enjoy it, then I am going to burn out because I'm continuously. And that's what was happening at Pitbot. Like I tried so hard. I, I tried to quit as well. Right. The first time I tried to quit, it didn't work out so well because <laughs> the CEO was like, I wasn't expecting him to re- re- like have a rebuttal. Right. So it was just like, he was like, uh, what about working halftime? And I was like, cause I told him I, I'm pursuing all things ice and they were afraid that I was going to another advertising agency. And I was like, I don't want to do this ever again. Okay. Like I have no interest. Don't worry. You'll never find me another advertising agency or starting my own. Like I don't care. Um, right? so, but they were like, okay, so what about working 50%? And I was like, damn, that's a good idea because I need money. Right. So like, cause I'd already talked to my husband at the time and was like, I'm going to quit my job. I've been saving up money, but still I'm going to quit my job. FYI. And uh, you've been taking over the bills now. Cause I was like, I, I mean, my job paid quite well. So I could like, we could pay for anything. Like it didn't really matter, you know? And he was like, okay. And so then on the 50%, I was still like, it felt good for like two weeks or something. And then after that, I was like, it still feels like a burden, but this is when COVID happened. So then everyone started working from home. So now I didn't have to go in, but which was helpful. And then it happened with like, I don't know how it happened in the U.S. necessarily, but there were a lot of companies that were like afraid they were going to struggle. And so the government in Iceland stepped in and decided they were going to help and provide any type of like financial assistance up to a certain point. So I actually went down to 25%, which again, was like, yes, I have more time to work on my, but, then it, but also it was just like, I still don't want to be there. <laughs> 25% is too much, right? I, I just don't want to be there. And eventually I ended up quitting that summer, like the end of that summer. 
It's been an interesting journey. But when you're really not into something anymore, at least for myself, my my brain, everything starts shutting off on it. Like it just becomes the ultimate burden, even though it's providing me with something that I feel like I need, but it's just not enough. Money is just not enough. Yeah, it becomes a nuisance. And I think that's when you really, at least in my opinion, that's when you really know that you've landed into that purpose, Mm -hmm. kind of that value proposition where it's like, okay, I can do the thing that I love doing and I would do it absent the money. Because even when I'm straddling, I find that even though the other thing is providing for my lifestyle, it's almost like a nuisance. It's like, what do you want? (laughs) Yeah. You call me again? It's like, what? Right? Like, what? Just because you're paying me doesn't mean I'm supposed to respond, right? Like, it just becomes this thing. Yeah. And the actual thing that you create becomes this thing that just you're you're passionate about. You're in your zone of genius. It's just like, this is what you want to pour your heart and soul into and see where it takes you and see how it blossoms. Particularly, like you said, when you get that feedback from, you know, listeners or people that interact with your platform or, you know, recognition, you're like, okay, this is confirmation, right? This other thing, while it might be suiting these other needs, it's not, you know, in that, like I said, that value realm where you're like, oh, okay, you know what? This is more meaningful. This is purposeful. This is impactful. Exactly. You're in Iceland. You've been there now several years. Yeah. Like I said, I've been there. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. At this point, I would assume like you're settled in. So (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) Yes, I am for sure. I got citizenship last month. Oh my gosh. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. It's been so surreal. Like I have it right here, just sitting in my desk. Oh my God. Oh my God. That is so awesome. They don't let you smile in the pictures. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. So, with this, you get all of the EU. Is that how that works? EU, EEA, EFTA, like whatever, all of these, because there's like an agreement between all of them. So uh-huh. I could go and live wherever I wanted, go and stay for exterior periods of time, period of time in these countries. And I was like, and that was not what dawned on me at first, but oh I was laying in bed and I was like, I could move to so many places. Yeah, <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. Like it's it just like, dirt. <laughs> this is amazing. And I'm going to, you know, because I even thought about like when I want to go on vacations and stuff, just yeah. the idea of like how long can I stay exactly. or whatever. And it's like, maybe I want to spend a few months in Spain or something. I don't know. I'm not really yeah. sure. But I'm just like thinking of like. You're a content creator. Possible. You can go anywhere. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so I'm just like, because of having citizenship in Iceland, that it allows for me to go to these other countries that I could expand all things to whatever, wherever else, you know, I have not been on the African continent yet. So that is very important to me to go and like explore different countries in Africa and yeah, just feel like I'm really also getting in touch with that aspect of myself that I hadn't, haven't allowed yet. Where do you see like the journey unfolding for you? Do you see yourself doubling down yeah. on being a content creator? I'm assuming that now you're full-time, but yeah, correct me full-time, if I'm wrong. And that has been amazing. And this is also a big jump for like working for myself and mm-hmm. that kind of like structure that you need. I'm a little bit like, I love doing all different types of things. So really trying to focus on things that actually do bring in money so I can continue to have my passions and stuff. Yes. But um, yeah, it's... It's been such an incredible journey getting to this point where now I have like long-term sponsorships and I have, you know, other companies that reach out to me and go like, Hey, you're doing really cool stuff. We like you. 
what can we do together? And like, I'm at the moment, as I'm still building my audience, you know, there are people who are much larger than me, but that, that has not excluded me from people saying like, we want you specifically. Like you, we see how you interact with your audience. We see how you bring different content out there that is really relevant and interesting, right? So it's just like, I think for a lot of us, and I, I'm only saying this more for individuals who often think like, oh, someone's already doing that. Your perspective is valuable, right? Because before I started YouTube, I was so afraid that, first of all, who's going to want to listen to this Black girl from New York, right? It's like, I don't look Icelandic. And in that, there's a typical idea of what Iceland looks like. It's very stereotypical. There are very, many people here who are Icelandic who don't look like that, who don't have blonde hair, blue eyes, whatever. And that part was like, oh my God, like, how are people going to be? But people have been really, you know, for the most part, I mean, granted, YouTube at some time, some point was just like full of trolls. That was hard, but kept on going. <laughs> yeah. Power um, on. Power yeah, on. exactly. <laughs> um, but it's just been like a, an interesting journey of self-reflection about like, how mm. do I say it's true to myself and still make money and come to find out the only way I could really make money is being myself, which is crazy, right? Like I didn't, I didn't know that would be the possibility it was just like, show up authentically as much as you can, you know, and of course don't try to burn yourself out or anything. And I've learned that and I have been continuously learning that, but literally being me, my perspective, my way of wanting to tell stories or like, you know, just be my fun self, sticking my tongue out, dancing in a video, whatever, you know, <laughs> like trying different <laughs> things has been way more helping people to like get attracted to the the other parts of it, which are the stories about us and the culture, history, language, nature, all of that, you know? What I love about your content is that I do feel like you're bringing me along, right? Mm. It's like, oh, whether you're hiking or, you know, showing us a new part of Iceland or breaking down a word, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. everything. It's like, oh, wow, it's educational. It's informative. And it feels to me like you're on the adventure with me. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not like you're just presenting content for the purpose of creating content. Yeah. As someone who has consumed your content, I feel like, oh, wow. I don't even know if you've either been to these places before that you've scoped out, but it feels like it's almost like you're going for the first time. Like, hey, look at this. And I'm like, yeah. wow, Jules, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say mm-hmm. that this was an important part that I didn't mean to leave out. When I lived in the US and knew I wanted to move to Iceland, I looked to see if there was anybody who had some type of experience as a Black person there. Mm. And I didn't find anything, okay? And it was hard because I was just like, seriously, this is like nerve-wracking because I want to make sure I feel secure, right? Now, granted, my husband's family. This is actually the first time I'm talking about it publicly. So Goodnatch and I are no longer together. Like we're separated and we'll be officially being divorced after in Iceland, you have to wait six months after you oh. sign the paper. Yeah. They're, they're like, just in case, you know, you wow. I did together. not know that. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, wow. Okay. Well, <laughs> that's the process, but you know, life happens. Mm-hmm. So this is the first time I'm actually announcing or saying it that like, this is a part of my life that has shifted, but mm-hmm. thankfully I have created so many avenues for myself here for income and uh, also like people just feeling, I feel so accepted in the Mm. community that I don't feel like I'm doing it alone, even though I'm on my own in this way. Yeah. I think like it's really fun in essence to like present so many of these different things, but as a black woman, right. This was an important part for me at some point when I thought about it of just showcasing that we are here 
And it is really fun and it can be a great experience. And I'm so happy when I hear people who either say it in my comment section on, you know, some platform or send me an email and say that they had an amazing time in Iceland. There was a group, the Four Seasons Ski Club or something in oh, wow. um, the U.S., 40 Black Americans, middle-aged, we're talking about some of them are even like a lot of them are retired. They came and actually I met with them. I gave a talk uh, oh to my their gosh. group. Yeah, on their first day. And it was amazing. And it was just the sweetest thing ever, first of all, because they were just all so excited and curious about Iceland. And I got the chance to talk to people who look like me. Like I felt like mm-hmm. I was meeting my family. Yeah. Right. Because there's so many things that even though they're from different parts of the country, like California, New Orleans, mm-hmm. Arkansas, like, I mean, just everywhere. Right. I was just like, wow, you remind me of my aunt. You remind me of my grandmother. You remind me of my mother. You remind me of my dad. Mm-hmm. You know, like I just had like, it, it felt like I was at home, even mm-hmm. though I was in a hotel <laughs> in Iceland <laughs> talking to a group of people, but they, they all look like me and they felt so much better getting insight about the mm-hmm. country through this talk. So it was just there's so many layers here, right? That yeah. I feel like uh, for anybody who's a content creator that you get to share and you mm-hmm. get to provide value for if you allow yourself to kind of go down that route and just embrace it. That's true. And I love how you talked about embracing the journey is I'm, I'm curious, you know, you have, and I know those listening cannot see, but you know, after this, if you haven't already started following Jules, you will. She <laughs> very long, beautiful locks. And yeah. so how do you approach, because you talked about people's perceptions of Iceland mm-hmm. and that being that it's very homogenous. So mm-hmm. as you, as a black woman, lovely locks, are there locticians? How are you finding hair care products? To your point, when you think about showcasing Iceland's beauty and mm-hmm. making it inviting for others to come and visit, how do you kind of navigate, hey, I need certain things <laughs> to be comfortable here? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have only ever done my own hair here. And that's just because I I think from like a child, like during childhood, my mom at some point wanted us to perm our hair because it was getting too much for her to do. And that was a horrible experience. (laughs) I hated like my scalp getting burned and all this stuff. I don't have any, people could do whatever they want to their own hair. But for me, it was just not enjoyable. And eventually it got to a point where it was like, I don't trust going to a salon because it just didn't feel like they understood. Now, granted, I got maybe the short end of the stick of who I was going to, because it seems like there are a lot of salons who are much more careful, understanding or whatever, you know, being averse to salons made me have to learn how to do my own hair. Now, granted, when I started my lock journey, I did go to a salon to get it done. And then I, whenever I go to the US, I have, I go to New York City, I have one person that I do trust to retwist it for me. Other than that, I do it here myself. There are people who do it from their home, but there are not like, as far as I know, any locticians or people who do, you know, African textured hair or black hair in a salon. I'm not aware of that. And people have asked me, even like, where would you get products? I bring products from the US. I bring a lot of them that I need that will last me for a while. And, but there is a place called Afrozone and they Hmm. sell, you know, products here as well. They import things. Um, not just products, but also like foods and different. I think the woman is from Ghana, maybe. Oh, wow. Um, so you can get like aloe vera leaf. Like you can get like really cool stuff there. It's, it's amazing. Oh, that's so, so cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so she's made a, a business. I think her name is Patience. She's made a business out of importing fresh vegetables and different products wow. from parts of the world for people who are, you know, part of the African diaspora or who are African and looking for certain things. You can find it's a business idea and 
give birth to that because I think sometimes people feel intimidated when there Mm -hmm. aren't a lot of people, but that might also be to your advantage because, you know, whether people are traveling or relocating there, there are just certain staples that we need to have. And so that could be your thing, like going to some (laughs) country, becoming an importer and there you go. Then you're off to the races. So Jules, as we start to wrap up, where can people find you? Yeah. So I'm very active on our Instagram, TikTok as well, and YouTube. Of course, the podcast is called All Things Iceland. So I'm All Things Iceland everywhere, but All Things Iceland is a podcast, uh, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok would be like the, you know, four biggest places. And allthingsiceland.com is where you could find a lot of my content and like connections to like blog posts that I write that are basically podcast episodes. But if you're not looking to like listen to the episode, you can just read through the, the information. I put like a lot of links and everything in there. So it's chock full of information. And then I also have a merch shop, like a merchandise shop about like Icelandic things that I sell. So like on stretched canvas, like really beautiful photos of Iceland or like tote bags and things. So yeah, it's lots of different possibilities. This one service in particular that people seem to be really happy about, which is one-on-one trip planning calls. So if you're really looking to get like a better idea of how to best spend your time in Iceland, I, sh- I on that call, it's like an hour and I go over like hidden gyms, like really helping you to craft an itinerary that works for you and your family. If you have like food allergies or just you know, you have seven days, three days, five days, whatever it is. How do you spend that time? Uh, I do that. And then I am really working on launching a guide. It would be an online guide. And it would be extensive. And it would be like, you know, behind a paywall necessarily, but it would be extensive where like you learn about every region of the country and why it's worth going there, what's special about it, uh, sample itineraries, like things like this. It would be like this whole big thing. And then when I launch it, there will be a period of time in which you would have included in that price video chats with me. But I also am working on an audio guided app so that when you travel around the country in your car, it would like GPS link to where you are. And like, I'll start talking about this region, this area, what's interesting to know, maybe some of the sagas, stuff like that. Oh my gosh, this is fantastic. I can't wait to dive in. I can't wait. I hope all of our listeners and everyone can run, follow Jules, go on the journey. Because like I said, Iceland is one of those countries that I definitely want to visit again. It's very beautiful. The people are very welcoming. It's expensive. Yeah, (laughs) girl. (laughs) But (laughs) it's the most expensive country I've visited thus far, but it is is worse. Oh, wow. I have not been there, but it is definitely beautiful. And so if you are interested as I am in like the earth's natural beauty Mm -hmm. and really, really great tasting water. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. The water is amazing. Yes, yes, yes. And interesting cuisine. I definitely... Mm -hmm delved into some things well I know I've never had before right not to say I would never eat them again either I okay. everything I ate I would eat again there you go um, so <laughs> if you're interested in widening your palate learning about another culture and all things Iceland <laughs> and some language stuff I definitely include language things in there too yes yes language phrases definitely mm-hmm. follow Jules on the socials get looped in because you will not be disappointed oh thank you 
So Jules, it has been an absolute pleasure having you as a guest on the Black Sick Global podcast. I can't wait to continue to watch your evolution. Wishing you all the best on this next phase of your journey in all aspects. And it's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you. Thank you so much. And I wish you all the best as well. This has been just a pleasure. And I just appreciate the opportunity to share. And, you know, you're a great interviewer. So thank you for just allowing me to provide my perspective. Thank you for listening to the Black Sick Global Podcast. For more information on today's episode, be sure to visit our website at blacksickglobal.com. It's not only possible to live out your dreams unbothered and in full color, it is your birthright. Are you trying to sort out health plans, banking, VPN, and other connectivity for your move abroad? Well, have no fear. We've got you with the Move Abroad Starter Kit. Get yours today at blacksitglobal.com resources. That's blacksitglobal.com resources.